podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast. No Kitro today. He's off on a well-earned break for a couple of days. So it's me, Alex Kirkland, uh, with Sid Lowe. Hello, Sid. Al, did you just say well-earned? The boy works very hard. He's, uh, you know, he does a terrific <laughs> job on La Liga TV and this podcast. I think we all deserve a break sometimes. <laughs> well, I think we, 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 will, we will break when we die <laughs> until then. <laughs> yes. I mean, today is a, is a puente. It's a bank holiday here in, in Madrid. In fact, it's a mega puente. Yeah, Because is. today is a bank holiday and Wednesday is a bank holiday. That means lots of people here have taken a whopping five days off work. Uh, not you and I, Sid. No. In fact, bank holidays make it worse for us, to be perfectly honest, don't they? We are still here deep in the content mines, chipping away at the coalface of Spanish football. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, we've got a a pretty fantastic match day 16 to talk about, uh, which will keep us going. I will run us through the uh, the results. Uh, Match day 16 kicked off on Friday night with a huge result at the bottom of the table. Granada beating Alaves 2-1, thanks to Santiago Arias' 86th minute winner. Uh, which took Granada above Alaves in the fight to escape relegation. Uh, That was followed by, uh, genuinely, a super Saturday in which all of the best teams in La Liga, except Rayo, really were in in action. It started off in the early game with Sevilla beating Villarreal 1-0, thanks to Lucas Ocampos' early header. Uh, That was followed by a pretty incredible result at Camp Nou. That game ended in a 1-0 win for Real Betis against Barcelona, thanks to Juanmi with his eighth league goal of the season. Uh, A bit of a shock after that, Mallorca, Coming back from a goal down to beat Atletico Madrid 2-1 at home. Things were looking fine, really, for Atleti when uh, Mateus Cunha put them ahead in his first start for the club. But Russo made it 1-1 with a header from a set piece. And then Take Kubo's counter-attack winner on the break in added time condemned Atleti to another defeat. Um, after that, on Saturday night, arguably the biggest game of the weekend uh, was a 2-0 win for Real Madrid away at Anoeta uh, against Real Sociedad. Sid was there in the rain, watching on as Vinicius Jr. and Luka Jovic scored the goals that put Madrid eight points clear at the top of the table. Um, After that, I guess Sunday was bound to be something of an anticlimax, and and it kind of was. Um, Started off with uh, Rayo Vallecano continuing their fine form, beating Espanyol uh, 1-0. After that, Elche beat Cadiz 3-1. Cadiz uh, very much in trouble. Uh, Levante nil, Osasuna nil, the less said about that, the better. And then the late game, uh, saw Valencia come back uh, from a goal down. Barry Aspas had put Celta ahead at Balaidos, but then uh, Hugo Duro and Maxi Gomez scored the goals to see Valencia, as I say, get a 2-1 win. And then Monday's game, which hasn't yet kicked off at the time of recording, but Sid will be there at the Coliseum uh, to watch Hetafe play Athletic Club. Uh, by the way, as always, uh, we'll have a Q&A pod out for patrons on Tuesday, answering your questions, and a bonus pod on Thursday, discussing this week's Champions League games. Plus, We'll have a new series of TSFP Presents starting very, very soon. Patrons get all of that, plus they get to join us on the TSFP Discord as well. All of that for just €4.25 a month. Uh, OK, Sid, um, we'll start off with that Super Saturday and we'll start off with the game that you were at, the late game at Anoeta, I think, because I don't know about you, but after that game, just sitting and, and watching the highlights and, and thinking about things, that 2-0 win for Real Madrid away at L'Oreal, it felt to me like a, a very significant performance and, and result. Did it feel that way to you? It felt like the end of the season to me. It felt like that's the league title done. Um, now, obviously, I am making myself an enormous hostage to fortune by even posing that idea. But Not for the first time. 
You've done it before. It's but, it's but fine. well, exactly. But but you know, let's talk about some of the reasons why. Um, I think one of them is just the the if you like the impact of the day itself. As you said, it was set up as a Super Saturday, and all of the results except the severe one went Real Madrid's way. Uh, so Barcelona had been beaten, caught quite late on, not very late, but quite late on. Atletico Madrid had been beaten, caught very late on with a goal from a Real Madrid player, um, Taki Kubo. And then, of course, you'd had them beat Real Sociedad, who are the team that have been top of the table, I think, for five or is it maybe six weeks of this season. So there, it, just in, the, in terms of the context of the day, it felt very big. And uh, I noticed something in Marca today. And I say this with real nervousness because whenever Marker gives stats like this and I believe them, they turn out to be not <laughs> true. But they said that this was the best single day in La Liga history for Real Madrid. The first time ever that Real Madrid had won and Atletico Madrid and Barcelona had both lost on the same day since 19... I said I just said ever, which was the wrong word. The first time since 1942-43. Really? Now, now, that, now wow. I, I find that impossible to believe. Yes. But I have suspended disbelief okay. long enough to accept this statistic. Um, <laughs> I, I just find it very hard to believe that that's actually true. But, you know, that's what they said. They said it was the best, best day they'd ever had for, oh, sorry, they'd, they'd had for 79 years. Um, so that's that. And then there's the other side of it, which is to look at the points more generally. This puts them eight points clear of Sevilla, who have a game in hand. But that game in hand, of course, is Sevilla against Barcelona. Now, I'm not saying that means that, that, that Sevilla don't win it, but it, but it means that it's currently eight points. It puts them nine points ahead of Betis. And in truth, none of us think Betis are going to compete for the league title. So that's nine points ahead of the team in third, who in any case probably aren't contenders. It puts them ten points clear of Atletico Madrid, who they play next weekend. It puts them 10 points clear of Real Sociedad, who are the team that, you know, all season we've been saying, could they actually compete for the title? And whose manager, uh, I remember pointing this out a couple of weeks ago, had said post-game, it must have been after the Valencia game when, when we spoke to him. He said, look, it'll be the same four as always at the end of the season. In other words, he'd already written them off. He then said that this weekend to the Spanish media. It's the first time I think I've heard him say it to the Spanish media, Imanol Alguacil. Uh, then, of course, it puts them 12 points clear of Rayo Vallecano. Now, none of us seriously think that Rayo Vallecano are going to compete for the league. We would love them to, but we would love sadly them to, not, but not, yet. not yet. Not yet. And then it puts them 16 points clear of Barcelona. Now, I'm not saying that means the league title is over, although, of course, about two minutes ago, that's exactly what I said. But, <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it, it, it feels like a very significant step. And Paco Gemeth, who these days is a, a, a pundit on Spanish TV... And he's every bit as pugnacious and entertaining as he was mm. as a manager. He said, his phrase was, if they win next weekend against Atletico Madrid, the league has, no tiene sentido. The league's pointless. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's done. Um, now, look, a lot of people have pointed out, well, Atletico Madrid were this far clear last year and they had to fight all the way to the final day. Yeah, OK. But they got to the final day and won it. You know, they, they'd made just enough of a cushion to be largely disastrous in the, I think it was February last year, wasn't it? Or March. And still win the league. Um, and I saw a statistic today in, I think it was Ass, when it said no team, no, actually it was El Mundo. Again, I'm, I'm nervous about this, but they said it, so I'm going to trust them. No team has been eight points or more clear at the top of the table as late as this, after 16 games. Now, what worries me is when they say after 16 games, have they literally just gone through and looked at week 16 before? And actually, sometimes it's got further away than that and, and so on. But they claimed mm. after 16 games, no one has been eight points or more clear at the top of the table and not won the league. Now, that said, Sevilla have a game in hand. So, strictly speaking, maybe Real Madrid aren't eight points clear. And as I say, I distrust 
the way that they've presented that statistic. But again, I've been foolish enough to trust it or to, 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 to believe it for the time being. It's not just Real Madrid looking very good. It's when you look at their, their rivals and you look at the exactly. fact that Atletico Madrid look, look a very flawed team this season. Barcelona, we all know the, kind of the mess that, that Xavi is, is trying to rebuild from there. And as you say, when you run through the other alternatives at the top of the table, none of them really look like realistic exactly. title contenders. So it's those two things together... And I think this was the game that this was the game and the day that really confirmed this. Uh, okay, yes, this is this is Madrid's title to lose. Yes, absolutely. And also, there's something about look at the look at the game itself. So mm. we've had a week in which Real Madrid were, I think, pretty fortunate to beat Sevilla, and very fortunate to beat Athletic, but not at all fortunate to beat Real Sociedad. Now, Real Sociedad didn't have a shot on target. That's the first time that's happened this season. Uh, Real Sociedad had only conceded one goal at home all season. They conceded two in one game against Real Madrid. Real Madrid had Karim Benzema go off. And we kept saying, and I still stand by this, by the way, that they would be in trouble if they lost Benzema or Casemiro or maybe even Vinicius now. Yeah, and if you had to pick one that they couldn't afford to lose, you'd probably pick Benzema as the one. Yes, because he's completely irreplaceable. And yet he got replaced and Jovic provides an assist and scores. The last time Benzema got replaced... Mariano comes on and provides an assist. So the, the two players who can't replace him have only played... Well, in, in Jovic's case, he'd only played 81 minutes before this weekend. Mariano has played 90 minutes all season. It was that one game. Mm. And both of them come on and contributed. And I think what this does... And it doesn't necessarily uh, diminish the idea that Benzema is irreplaceable. But it speaks to this discussion we've been having over the last couple of weeks. And I think the debate has been a little bit overblown, but it's worth talking about, about Ancelotti's refusal to rotate, particularly in this run of really big games. And obviously, in part, it's because he just doesn't trust what he's got on the bench as much as he trusts the team. And implicitly, that's a very clear message there. Look, I have 11 and I have three or four others that I can kind of play. And really and truly, I won't play Mariano Jovic unless I have to. But this is a reminder and I think it's a significant one. And, and it, it contradicts a little bit what, what I've been arguing all season, which is that Real Madrid's starting eleven is better than anyone else's. But I don't think they've got strength in depth. But actually they have. It's just they don't trust that strength in depth. You know, Real Madrid's worst player is normally every other team's best. Maybe not every other, because Barcelona, in theory, should be at that level. And Atletico shouldn't be far off. But it should be every... Because, you know, we're talking about Luka Jovic. This is a guy that Real Madrid don't think is good enough. He costs 60 million euros. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget both with him and Mariano. And the reason that we forget is because we never see them. But they are two both really quite good players and would be starters yeah. for most other teams. Exactly. In, almost every exactly. other team in, in La Liga, they, they, would, they would make a case for being their, their first choice. Well, to give, you, to give you a, a simple way of looking at that, in the summer, Sevilla asked about Mariano and he said no. They were one of the clubs that he said no to um, because he wants to remain on the salary that he's on, which, of course, he's entitled to do. To give you another example, last year, um, Sevilla and Atletico were the teams with Barcelona that pushed Real Madrid uh, the hardest in terms of the league title, so much so that Atletico actually won the league title, right? And while Sevilla, Sevilla's captain was an off-cast from Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid's best player was an off-cast from Barcelona, and their other best player, their midfielder, Marcos Llorente, was an off-cast from Real Madrid, so this, this is, again, the context of this is, is that there's no such thing as, I mean, I'm sure some of our listeners will be writing in now making suggestions, but there's no such thing as a bad player at Real Madrid. You're like the worst player in the Real Madrid squad. And I know I've said this before more generally about professional footballers, but even within a first division context, the worst player at Real Madrid is a really good player. Mm. I thought both Jovic's assist for Vinicius and his, his goal, actually, 
were both kind of deceptively good in the sense that the more I watched them when I was watching the highlights after the game, the better I thought both of them were. I thought that the assist for Vinicius was just a sensational. I mean, Ancelotti said afterwards this was sort of a classic centre-forward Jovic kind of move. You know, the with his back to goal, the touch to control and then laying it off for Vinicius to, to finish. I just thought he did that so, so well. And actually, the, the header is a really good bit of intelligent movement as well to see where the ball's going, to see that Casemiro's going to win the first header in the air and then just a nip in there ahead of the, the goalkeeper. I thought he did both of those extremely well. Yeah, and as I say, you know, let's not forget this is a 60 million euro player and a player that at the point at which he joined Real Madrid, there was a very strong suggestion that this was the outstanding striker of his generation Mm. in Europe. Um, Now, obviously, one of the reasons for that is that Haaland and Mbappé, I believe, are both younger than him. But certainly of of his generation, at that point, there was a sense that, you know, because I think Madrid sign him at 21, don't they? Uh, I think it was 21 or maybe tw- maybe even 20. But anyway, this is a, a, an outstanding player. An outstanding player who, it's true, has done very little. And one of the reasons for that is lack of opportunity. But then you get that catch-22 thing. You say, well, player isn't good enough because he doesn't get opportunity or player doesn't get opportunity because he's not good enough. And there's a real sense, I think, of a certain pessimism with him. A kind of a looking at Benzema and thinking, well, I'm not going to get a game. Uh, a failure maybe, maybe to integrate with a team, to really settle, to feel part of it. And I think that plays a part. You look, for example, at his statistics and it's extraordinary, really. His Real Madrid career has been relatively long. He's only played 22 times. He's only scored two goals. And those two goals, you ready for this? The fifth in a 5-0 win and the fourth in a 4-1 win. In other words, he's never done, never done anything of any relevance um, in fact, the most relevant thing he's done in a Real Madrid shirt is get away with a handball that would have saved Leganes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Basic. Well, and, and now, of course, this, this, I think this was his, without question, that, his best game in a, well, in a Real is, Madrid shirt. This is, this is the goal and the assist that wins Real Madrid the league, if we're going to believe the nonsense, <laughs> if, we, if we're going to believe the nonsense I was talking about a minute ago. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, degree of, a degree of truth in that. Now, I, I just want to throw this in. I mean, it's not entirely sort of in line with what we're talking about, but I want to throw it in because I just thought it was really, really interesting from um, Carlo Ancelotti after the game. Now, obviously, this has come in the context of this discussion about rotation and, you know, players not getting a game. And we've talked about this before, so I don't want to go into it too heavily. But what I've said and what Ancelotti, I think, has made very clear is that actually he doesn't see the need to rotate now in the big games. In fact, this is the worst possible time to do it. You get through it with your best possible team and then you rest if needs be when Cardiff come along. You don't do it in the midst of this run where if people have been saying, look, it's every three days against big teams. No, well, so what? Play your best possible team in that period. Anyway, Modric, and I think emotionally this is important, says, look, I feel better when I'm playing than when I'm resting. And I think Ancelotti knows that. And there's an emotional kind of management here going on. But the other thing was, it's just something that I thought was was interesting. I, we, we, we spoke to Ancelotti after the game, obviously, because... Um, with with ESPN now we get we get flash zone access so it gives you the chance to have some of these conversations that you wouldn't normally have and I said to Ancelotti because Modric had said you know we've been trying to say to to Luka uh, to Luka Jovic wait for your chance you know keep your head up be you know and 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 this opportunity will come um, even though obviously no one in the team really thinks he's better than Benzema and they would much rather Benzema got fit as quickly as possible rather than suddenly going oh it's okay we've got Jovic. And I asked Ancelotti, I said, I said to him, is there a role that teammates can play in keeping their fellow teammate happy in, in, when he's not playing? In terms of saying to him, don't worry, you'll play. In terms of supporting his right for minutes, that kind of thing. And Ancelotti smiled and he said, 
you know, this is the kind of thing you have to say, but I've been a player and I know what it's really like. All players care <laughs> about is that they play. <laughs> and I thought it was just a really nice line. All they care about is that they play. All they want is to be put in the team themselves. He is brilliantly honest, isn't he? Uh, He's Carlo, fantastic. Sometimes, yeah. And before we move on from this game, one other player I think we should mention, it would be remiss not to mention the performance of Eda Militao. Yeah, brilliant. Who I just thought looked like a Rolls-Royce centre-back in this game. The number of sort of perfectly timed challenges he made and he would then come away with the ball and play the right pass. Vinicius is, is the player who's really stepped up a level this season. But after him, Militao isn't, isn't that far behind. That one where he, he, he slid in and actually caught the ball under his yes. foot and takes it off. I can't remember which player it is now. It might be Isak, but I'm not sure. Inside his own area and then comes away from it. There's one where he's sort of sliding in almost on his knees to block. He was absolutely brilliant. And I think this is the other thing. It's not just him. And it is him, obviously, and he's the leader of this. And, and he was starting to play well, I think, at the back end of last season. But you're right, this season he's taken a step again. It's him and David Alaba. And we talked... Or Alaba. <laughs> we talked about... I'm not entirely sure, I must confess. Um, we talked about this when Ramos and Varane went. And we said it's not just about the fact that two players have gone who have been first choice. It's that a partnership has gone. So you've got to completely start again. And however good... Um, the two players are that are going to take over now, uh, in the case of Militao and Alaba. You've got to build them into a partnership. And central defence is, is very much about that. It's not just about how good they are individually. And, and I've said before that I think David Alaba, given his age, is an upgrade on Ramos. And, and you know, a few people have kind of don't, don't take very kindly to me saying that. But I think in terms of his age and so on, I think he is. But the question was, could this work as a partnership? And I think that's what's been so impressive. And, and, and both Modric and Ancelotti were talking about this in terms of, you know, they've, they've adapted to each other much quicker than anyone expected. You know, they, they work really well. Uh, they, they seem to get on very well. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, what would I call, I'm trying to think of a best way of de- describing this. I suppose there's a lot of what you see more often now in football, I'm making myself sound like an old man here, but what you see more often in football now than you did 20 years ago, but that I always sort of associate with basketball. There's a lot of hand slapping. You know, there's a lot of good play man sort of thing. There's a lot of partnership, if you mm. see what I mean, and, 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 self re, uh, and, sorry, and, and, and teammate reinforcement, if you see what I mean. So Alaba will make a tackle and Militao will be over to high-five him. Militao will make a tackle and Alaba will be over to high-five him. There's a very clear sense of them developing together as a partnership, which I think is really, really strong. Ancelotti has talked as well about their qualities being complementary. So he'll talk about Militao's physical qualities and Alaba being more of the leader, um, the organiser. Yes. And I think that organising role is important because one thing that Militao has struggled with previously for Madrid has been, I think his positioning has been a bit all over the place sometimes. So if he's got mm. Alaba alongside him, telling him where he needs to be, uh, I think, that's, I think that's, that's a pretty good sign. Yep. Well, I think, I think that's one of the things that, that made Varane so important for Real Madrid, which people, I think, sometimes overlooked. And Militao does that. And that is the, 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 the recovery run. So the recovery run behind the other centre-back or across to the two full-backs. And Militao does that really well. He's incredibly quick across mm-hmm. the ground. Uh, I think more so than Alaba. And I think you're right, Alaba reads the game possibly slightly better and leads. The other thing that's really struck me about Alaba is how often he appears at the top of the pitch. And not like Ramos from set plays or from wild runs, but sort of as if he sort of sees that there's a moment and he goes and yeah. Casemiro then drop in and, and allow him to. And it seems it seems to be chosen, driven by the head rather than by the heart. With Ramos, you could sort of almost see him thinking, oh, there's a goal here. Whereas with Elaborate, it feels more, I suppose, more thoughtful. 
in in terms of how often he he attacks and and I, I think that's right I, I think I think they are they are developing into a really really good partnership. Listen, we must move on because this was the the game of the weekend, but there's lots of uh, of other stuff to talk about as well. All I would say, my only um, hashtag Sidlo caveat afterwards mm. was the thought that well, aren't La Real exactly the kind of team that Madrid like to play against and look good against, which is a team that wants to play and that will give yes. space to someone like Vinicius, someone like Rodrigo. That, that was the only thing that made me think, OK, I, mm. maybe I shouldn't get too carried away with this performance because maybe it was just set up quite nicely for Madrid to go and get a result like this. Yeah, I also think another caveat to throw in, no David Silva, no Mikel Merino, no Elistondo. And those are three players who would all have started. Yeah. You know, so imagine the Real Madrid team and you take out, well, let's say for argument's sake, Militao and, I don't know, Modric and, Kar- and Karim Benzema. And you've got more or less the, the, the impact it would have. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, but I think, I, think it's, I think it's more about this feeling now that Madrid have encountered 11 because Ancelotti has basically decided, right, no messing around. We know what the 11 is. We play it. We move it when we have to. Here's a question for you. The one doubt I have with their team is still that right-sided attacker. Rodrigo Asensio. And I'm still not completely convinced by either of them. Is there a chance, if he was to get fully fit, that Gareth Bale actually becomes a player in this team? I mean, maybe, because at the start of the season when he was fit, Ancelotti was picking him. Yeah. And maybe it depends on the the opponent as well. I think there are some games in which having both Vinicius and Rodrigo in the same team can work really well, but maybe in some other games against teams that maybe don't like to play as much and sit back a little bit, maybe those two together aren't going to be as as effective. I don't know. Anyway, listen, Sid, we must must move on. We must talk about Barca being beaten by Betis at at camp now. We'll talk about Barca, but I think we should praise Betis first because the season that they are having, the impact... Uh, that Manuel Pellegrini has had since taking over. As we mentioned, they're third in the table. And yes, that, that position may be somewhat artificial because they've played one more game than Atleti, who are a point behind them. But still, it's been a terrific season for them. It's one of the best seasons in their recent history. Mm. What do you put this down to? Of course, Pellegrini's vastly experienced. He's a very good coach. We all know it. But they haven't changed the team or the squad that radically since he came in. But he does seem to have transformed this team. And of course, they beat Barca at the weekend without Nabil Fekir, who's their best player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a, there is a sense of... With, with Pellegrini, there's always been this. A sense of a kind of an internal... What's the word? In, uh, internal demands... But external calmness, which I think plays well with the players that he's got. I think he has not allowed the team to kind of... How do I put this? I suppose not allow the team to, to believe it when they're too good. That, that, that they are too good, if you see what I mean. I think he's got through to Nabil Fakir, who's a very, very special footballer. I think he has good players in a team. I think there's a degree of prag- pragmatism to go with it. Um, I think that they're a team that because they don't do daft things, they win the games that they should win. And you look at the games they haven't won and, and in a way it's been, yeah, okay, that's understandable. So Real Madrid, for example. Um, uh, Real Sociedad, I think as well, they, they also lost to, although I'm trying to remember the game and off the top of my head, I can't now. And and so I, I, I think it's... A, very good quality players, to be honest, and, and, and a manager who knows how to, how to build a structure that, that suits those players, that gives them the ball, but doesn't overdo that, that you know, that's not obsessed by it. Mm. What is going on with Juanmi? 
Because this is a guy who, when you looked at Pettis' squad at the start of the season, there was no mm. way that I think he was anywhere near the starting eleven. really. They brought in William Jose, of course, to, to be the first-choice centre-forward. You've got Borja Iglesias as well. I know that Juan Mi played at camp now off of William Jose, so it's not necessarily a one or the, a one or the other. Um, but eight goals for him in the league so far this season from a player who I, I don't think anyone, including Real Betis expected to play this, this, yeah. bigger, this bigger role this, this season. Totally agree with you. And I think part of the answer actually lies in what you just said. He didn't play up front against Betis, against Barca. He played off the front to the left. Now, do you remember, uh, and obviously you remember absolutely everything that's said on this podcast, Al. <laughs> it's all um, engraved in, rem- my, <laughs> in my memory. Yeah. Do you remember not so long ago, we were talking about the partnership of Fekir and Canales. And we were saying that Canales through the middle was drifting right and Fakir was drifting in and they were very much a pair. And we actually said what it does do is it leaves a bit of an empty space on the left of that line of three behind the forwards because Betis, broadly speaking, play a 4 2 3 one It's not quite that, but broadly speaking, play a 4 2 3 one And we were actually saying they don't really have a player on the left that entirely convinces you. When you look at the various options, you're not really sure who it could be. Rodri came in and played. Now, he would rather play on the right anyway. Um, you know, do you put Christian Teo over there because you get you get the the the, the, the speed and the run? You know, how do you deal with that left sided thing? And I think what's happened in a way is that you deal with it by putting someone who's not really a left sided player there, but who likes to appear into the middle coming off the left. And I think when you look at Juan Mi, you look at a player who's not quick, who's not strong, who's not especially skillful, whose touch isn't particularly brilliant, whose finishing is good, but not, you know, he's not, he's not one of those guys that you look at and think, wow, he's absolutely clinical, this bloke. He's just a guy that does everything quite well and fundamentally is intelligent. And I think what they've done is find a way to put a striker in because they didn't really have the winger and put him in a position that works for him when you can get him to combine with whoever the striker is. And that can be a striker that effectively holds... And, and, and allows him the space to come into it. And, and, you know, this is not a particularly unusual thing. Bear in mind that Cristiano Ronaldo scored God knows how many goals at Real Madrid sort of coming in off the left. A player who, whose quality in part, and I'm talking about Cristiano, but also about, about Juan Mi here. I'm enjoying this Juan Mi, Cristiano Ronaldo comparison. Yeah, it's not one exactly, I was expecting to not, hear, but let's go with it. Because they are not the same at all. But there is this, this one element I think they have, which is similar, is that ability to sort of not really be there and then appear. You know, that ability to kind of hide and time the run right and appear coming from a narrow left-sided position into the penalty area. And, and I think that has, has helped Juanmi because he's not a player that you can have as a reference point at the top of the pitch. Whereas both William José and to a slightly lesser extent, because I don't think Borja Iglesias, although he's got the physicality of William José, I don't think he has that. I suppose, again, to use a basketball uh, terminology, he doesn't have that ability to kind of post up, if you like, and have people play off him. Um, and so... Maybe that's part of the answer. And the goal itself, I mean, Canales, Teteo, to Juan Mi, all three of them did exactly what they had to do. They got it right. They made the right decision. It was, it was a, a terrific team goal. I must admit, I thought Canales hadn't made the right decision yeah, at first. Yeah, but it turned out that he, he had. Carried the, he turned out that he had. I mean, who knew that Canales was, <laughs> was, was more intelligent than me when it came to playing football? Uh, Canales, who, who, who went up the right, carried it really, really well, got into the area. The first cutback is brilliant. And at that point, I thought the slight slowing actually almost was about to lose the chance. And then when he gave it to Teo, you see Juanmi back away again just to create enough of an angle for Taylor to just, just lay it in front of him. And, and, and he finished it really, really well. Mm. Um, let's talk Barca. 
the only positive for them, really, I thought, was how good Usman Dembele looked when he when he came on. I mean, as he pretty much always does, whenever he's fit and, and available, whenever Dembele's on the, the pitch, I'm always excited by by him. One of my favourite things in football is a genuinely two-footed player. And so Dembele, yes. just the fact that he's equally good with both feet, I absolutely, I absolutely love. And he did look good. But apart from that, there wasn't much here for, for Xavi to be able to point to and, and say, look, this is... This is progress, was there? Uh, well, no, but he... But he, he did anyway. To, he seemed to imply that there was. And to be fair to him, he said, look, I'm very honest. After the Villarreal game, I said we didn't deserve anything. Mm. And he said, and this time, I think we did. And he said, that, but that's football. And he also said, because there'd been talk about whether he had a flower. And obviously, for the uninitiated, <laughs> a, flower in your, a flower in your bum is, is a Spanish way of saying you're very lucky. Yeah. And people have said, oh, he's got a flower, he's got a flower, he's got a flower. And after One of my favourite Spanish expressions, because I don't, I don't it, fully it, understand the correlation... But like, <laughs> how, can, yeah, how, how can it be considered fortunate yeah. to have foliage sticking out your rear end? Um, but, but anyway, um, he, he said after the game, well, the flower's gone then. It's all gone. You know what I think the most significant thing about this game is? And I think in a way it, it speaks to exactly what you were saying. The best thing about Barcelona, as part from 20 very good minutes at the start from Coutinho, which yes. I was surprised by. Yeah, yes. And it was only 20 but minutes. It was, it was, it it was, was brief, but it, but it was good. Um, the, I think it speaks to what you're saying. The thing that most struck me about this is the outstanding player is Dembélé in a game that got open and a bit wild. Now, in theory, Xavi is the opposite of a manager who wants a game to be wild. It's all about control and about positioning. And yet this seemed to be about momentum and drive from Dembélé. And Dembélé can make things happen. But of course, in a way, his flaws are precisely the things that, that Xavi is all about. Although, of course, the... Maybe the good news is that maybe Xavi can teach him those things. And that's positional play, decision-making, the final pass, the quality of the technique, if you like. Because Dembele, Dembele has wonderful technique in terms of shifting from side to side. That first moment of explosive acceleration. His shooting is normally really good, although this time he was just mm. past the post two or three times. But I don't know about the technique in terms of the timing of the pass, the right decision, that kind of thing. And that, in theory, is what Xavi can help to teach him or at least provide a structure around him. Because this is one of the things that we sometimes forget. When we talk about players making decisions, sometimes the decisions are made for them by the positioning of their teammates. Now, the best example of that is Jordi Alba and Leo Messi. Mm. Jordi Alba kept playing that pass. Why? Because Leo Messi was there. Go, oh, OK, Messi, 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 Messi. And maybe with time, they can build a structure where you're effectively saying to Dembele, look, there's the pass. How could you possibly give any other? Because there's a guy standing there to shoot or whatever it may be, right? But this would be my worry is that does Dembele really fit this? And then, of course, there's a broader worry, which is what happens with his contract renewal. And at the moment, it looks very much like he might not sign it. Or when he gets injured again. You know, you, well, you that, this, is not, this is not a man yes. that you can rely on or, or build around based on the evidence of his time at Barcelona so far, at, at least. Yeah, I suppose the optimist in, in you, if you were a Barcelona fan, would be to say maybe the reason for that is he doesn't look after himself and maybe you can finally impose upon him, whether it's things like sleeping hours, attitude towards training, attitude towards um, both recovery work and preventative work before sessions and stuff like that. But it is quite difficult to change a person's nature and their approach to to, to things it's, look I mean I don't mean to be cruel but let's be cruel Dembélé's been at Barcelona for how long four years is it I'd, I'd have to it check might, but... it might it, it might even be five I'm not sure I think it's four years and in truth the sum of his contribution is really really limited um, you know and, and obviously that's been a lot about injury he's had little runs where he looked absolutely brilliant I think he in terms of the basic skills that he's got I think he's a 
unbelievably good footballer. But I think Barcelona are, are in a really difficult position in terms of the dilemma over to what, what to do with the contract renewal. Because if he wants a pay rise, you basically have to say no. And you have to risk him go somewhere else. And here's the thing. He may well go somewhere else and be absolutely fabulous. Can you yeah, imagine, for example, Dembélé? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And can you imagine Dembélé in a team that, that really goes for teams, that plays on the break, that has space to run into? Can you imagine Dembélé, for example, playing for Liverpool? Yeah. Or, or, or Dembélé, or even, you know what? Here's, here's a horrible thought for Barca fans. Can you imagine Dembélé taking Rodrigo's place in the Real Madrid team? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely I can. Um, he, you're right. Yeah. He has been there for four years. By the way, he joined in August of 2017. Yeah. Um, Sid, what is wrong with Atletico Madrid? Because beaten two one by Mallorca at the Wanda on Saturday, um, those two goals they conceded one was a set piece, one was a counter attack. Both two types of goals that we, you know, in the old days we did not expect Atleti to be conceding those kinds of goals, and yet mm. they are. Is it too yes. simplistic to suggest that? It, is it simply because? The balance of the team has shifted. Simeone's tried to get more attacking creative players into the team. And as a result, it's all got a bit out of whack and the defending has, has suffered. Is there more to it than that? I mean, I think there is more to it than that. But I do think that there is an analysis um, that takes that in, uh, which again is a simplistic way of looking at it. But, but let's do it. And, and I think we've, we've sort of briefly touched upon this before. That up to a point, I think you can... You can proposed analysis that says that Atletico Madrid are victims of their success and that brings with it many things and that success is victims of having won the league which changes the degree of desire and demands and so on victims of having won the league and then improve the squad which as you say changes the 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 options and that means you've got to change the way that you play and that means you've got to accommodate these players that maybe before you didn't have to do victims of their success in that Luis Suarez was brilliant last year and maybe now you're not sure where he goes but you sort of got to keep him there and you've got to use him. And by the way, he's the only one who's still always going to be relied upon to score goals for you, even if he doesn't play particularly well. And so I wonder if there's this whole kind of, if you like, the perfect storm of the things that are linked to the fact that they've been successful and got better, that changes the demands, changes the willingness of certain players to do certain things, changes the things that the manager is trying to do, changes the degree of concentration and attention on defensive elements. So, yeah... I, I think there is a strong degree of that. And also, you know, to changes the demands on the game. So, for example, in different scenarios, having gone 1-0 up, would Atletico have been better able to protect it before? And equally, having gone to 1-1, would Atletico not have chased the 2-1 in the past and got caught for the second? So there, there's an element of that. Because, you know, a breakaway goal can happen to anyone when you're desperately yeah. trying to get a result. Um, but the, 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 the weakness in the air is really, really striking. Mm. And we haven't talked much about Mallorca on the podcast at all, I think, this year. Um, but what do you think this this victory does for them? I, I quite like Luis Garcia Plaza, the, the manager. He always so comes I. across, I don't know, just comes across as very likeable. Whenever I see him interviewed um, post-match or, or, or any time, I get a good, I kind of get a good, a good vibe from him, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think he's very straight. I think he's very clear. Um, I think he doesn't go in for the rants. I don't think he is at all dishonest with either media or players. Um, I think he, after the Raya Vallecano game, when they played awfully, really bad, and he came into the press room afterwards and he said, look, what I'm going to tell you, I've just told the players, this is worst we've played since I've been here. And he said, and we were terrible without the ball. He said, we were actually quite good with the ball. And I must admit, I agree with him. Every time Kangin got the ball, they looked really, really good. And he's clearly found... A player in Kangin, who I must confess I wasn't convinced by before. 
genuinely was not convinced by. And I think he's played really, really well for Mallorca. If you look at the runner results, apart from the Vallecas game, because this was a first win in seven, I think, for them, they had only been beaten by one goal every time when they'd been beaten. And there'd been, I think, a handful of draws in there. So this was a team that wasn't getting battered by anybody. It wasn't a team that was that was falling apart by any means. I think it's a team that has some limitations. Uh, I think it's a team that wants to play a little bit more than it did before. I think it's a team that had suffered occasionally because of silly individual mistakes. But generally, I think it's a, a well-built and reasonably competitive side that I think will struggle to avoid relegation, but I think will succeed. I don't think they're... they're objectives can be anything more than you know finishing 13th or 14th or something like that but I think they, they will succeed in doing so mm. a word as well about uh, the early game on Saturday Sevilla's 1-0 win over Villarreal these are the mm. two teams that really both aspiring to be I guess kind of the, the fourth force in Spanish football you might say in terms of that objective it's going much better for Sevilla this season than it is for for Villarreal Villarreal are so hard to work out. I mean, these yes, are, it's baffling. I, 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 it's, it's absolutely I baffling because you watch them sometimes and you think this is a, a really good team. We've said that ourselves yeah. on this podcast this season. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was uh, you or Phil and, and, you know, don't don't break the magic and reveal the secret, but I, I really enjoyed our tweet that said this was a game between the two coachiest coaches <laughs> that, in La Liga. I can, I can um, take credit for that one, Sid. Thank you. Uh, Thank there, you. There, is, there, there is definitely something in that that these are managers who structure their teams really well, who work them really well. And maybe every now and again, they need a, need a little bit less of that. Maybe they need a little bit of more, I don't know, a little more bit chaos. more chaos once in a while. Um, and by the way, Rio Vecano, that's a chaotic team, but it's kind of organised chaos and they're really nice to watch because of it. And, and I, think, I think with Villarreal, it's baffling. And maybe Villarreal can partly be summed up by the absurd miss from Gerard Moreno. And he's genuinely one metre out. I mean, he's pretty much holding the post when he kicks the ball and somehow misses. And It was quite is... a weekend of misses, wasn't it? Because we had the one for, uh, for Tony Moya. The Tony Moya. Moya one. The Tony <laughs> Moya one was extraordinary as well. I think this might be even worse. The only thing I can say in his defence is the ball's bouncing a bit awkwardly. But I mean, he is, all, as I say, he is almost holding the post when he kicks the ball. Um, and and Villarreal, I think of, it's so hard to properly put your finger on it because... You feel like luck isn't a good explanation, but you really can't come up with very much more than luck, apart from the occasional daft mistake or really bad finishing. And, you know, really bad finishing isn't purely luck. But I must admit, I feel for Unai Emery because I'm not sure there's very much he can do about that. Um, in terms of Sunday's games, you were in Vallecas for, for Rio's mm. 1-0 win over Espanyol. I mean, you mentioned Rio just now. What, what a team, what a season they are having. Still right up there mm. in, the, in the European places. And it's, it's so good to see. They, they only had one. They didn't have any shots on target and they won 1-0 because it was an own goal. But that would do them a massive disservice to hang on to that statistic for too much of, uh, of this analysis because they spent 70 minutes going for Espanyol. And they go and they go and they go and they go and they send two wingers up at both sides. They've got players flying from everywhere and they're very, very direct and, and, and very, you know, very quick to, to go for the throat. Um, but then they spent 15, 20 minutes at the end really hanging on and they were actually a little fortunate in the end to get away with it. But their home record now is eight games, seven wins, one draw. The draw is a nil-nil with Celta when they were brilliant and they really should have won it. And they're a lot of fun to watch now. 
Um, apologies for this, Barcelona fans, but Andoni Adalda said after the game, look, you keep asking me about this home record. I'm absolutely convinced that it's partly to do with the fixture list and we've played all the easy teams, the, the, the theoretical easy teams at home. He said, he, said, he, did, he didn't use the word easy. I, I, I should stress this. He didn't. I'm using it. He said, we've played the team below, teams below us at home. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to stick with the idea of him saying the easy teams um, at home, because if you look at who they've played... Rio, these are the teams Rio have played. So you could say the easy teams. Celta, Cadiz, Elche, Espanyol, Getafe, Granada, Mallorca and Barcelona. So yes, the easy teams. Uh, let's quickly talk about the Segunda. Uh, a big win for Wesker on Friday night. 3-2 against Valladolid. Uh, leaders Almeria drew one all at Fuenlabrada on Saturday. On Sunday, Sids, what's this? Oviedo beat Alcorcon 3-1, a goal fest. Amazing. The Tartier. It? It's absolutely amazing. Two goals for Borja Bastón, one for, for Brugman. Hudo Guaysha, Hudo Guaysha, Hudo Guaysha. And uh, Oviedo briefly went into a playoff place. And then, what? you know... Just That's wh- not their rightful place. Come Exa- on. Exactly. Their rightful place is frustratingly just outside. Two points just, outside just within... where they are right now. Exactly. Yeah. Because, of course, then, when you actually want Sporting Gijón to win... <laughs> they the go one and... time. <laughs> <laughs> they go and blow it against, uh, against Las Palmas. So I, I don't know if it's happened yet, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if Sporting's manager, Mr. Gallego, is not their manager for very much longer. And uh, three games today in the Segunda, because it is a bank holiday, as I say. Two of them are, are ongoing at the time of... Recording. In fact, one has finished. Zaragoza beating Abar uh, 1-0, which is a big result because Abar are third in the table. And that puts Zaragoza up to eighth uh, for now. And it's currently 0-0 uh, between Cartagena and Tenerife. Girona against Leganes uh, tonight. Leganes dealing with a, quite a big um, COVID outbreak, although I believe everyone involved is um, asymptomatic and, and isolating. But I think it was three players and nine cases in total, something like that. That's right, yeah. Although I don't know if there's been any more positives today. Presumably not, because they're going ahead with the game. Big week this week in the Champions League, Sid, for uh, La Liga representation in Europe's premier competition. Uh, We're finally going to find out if if Spanish football's any good or not, are we? I presume this is is the way that we can finally decide that, is it? Uh, It's just uh, how many teams go through to to the last 16. We've just decided we prefer the Europa League anyway. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and, and look, it wouldn't be... I hate to say this, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if Real Madrid were the only team that goes through. I think you said, was it last week, you said you believe that, that the other four are, are heading into, into yeah. the Europa League? Now look, Atletico, a win at Porto will be enough if, if AC Milan don't beat Liverpool. And that's quite likely to be the case. But who knows? I don't, I don't know if I trust Atletico to win in, in Portugal, but, but we'll see. Um, They've got um, three of their four uh, centre-backs are out yeah, for that, exactly. for that game. Um, Sevilla go to Salzburg. Now, you would think they, they, they could win that and maybe even should win that. I'm not sure that Villarreal win, win at Atlanta, though. Not at all sure by, of that. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, I don't think Barcelona get what they need in, in Munich. Uh, will I see you at the Bernabeu on Tuesday night for Madrid against uh, Inter? You will. You will indeed. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I'll see you then. Uh, patrons, as I said, we'll have the Q&A pod, as always, for you guys out tomorrow. Otherwise, not to worry, we'll be back next Monday, as always, rounding up next weekend's La Liga games. Talk to you then. Bye-bye for now. Cheerio. Network.